Well, good morning, and uh, once again, it is my privilege to welcome you to the time that we have set aside to study the greatness and the glory of our God. As you know, if you've been tracking with us, we've been studying the attributes of God for the past several weeks, and um, by no means um, a task for the faint of heart, uh, certainly uh, designed uh, to really process and think through during the week, and I just was reflecting with Sarah this week on what a privilege it is to be able to have the opportunity to not only teach, but but um, be part of a study where we can take one attribute of God per week and just not only this morning meditate on it, but meditate on it and its implications throughout the week. And of course, if you're part of the uh, Thursday night Bible study with Ted, that is uh, certainly... Um, uh, as I have received reports, a a, um, a growing and uh, uh, stimulating time discussing more and more of these things on a on a deeper level. I would encourage that, and um, I also just want to say that if you feel stretched a little bit by this series, that is intentional. It's been designed to not uh, not be milk, as it were, and not to necessarily aim to put the cookies on the bottom shelf, if you will, uh, designed actually to make you stretch a little bit, designed to to make you um, employ that very important mind that God has given you to worship him as we need to worship with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so hopefully uh, you're, you're challenged, and I uh, hope you have your outline today as well. The, um, the title of today's message is Our Immutable God, Our Immutable God, and we'll explain what that kind of fancy word um, means here in a moment here. If you wouldn't mind making your way to the book of Malachi, uh, Malachi chapter 3, Malachi, that prophet, also known as the Italian prophet Malachi, if you want to pronounce it that way, but it's actually closer to the Hebrew to say Malachi. I just like to tease on that once in a while, but Malachi chapter 3 has a text that we're going to kind of use as a uh, bounce text, as it were, here. And as you're making your way there, I'll remind you of a very clever play that was written by William Shakespeare in the year 1598. The play was called Much Ado About Nothing. Perhaps you've seen that play. It's a it's a clever little humorous uh story, a romantic comedy between uh, kind of focusing on two people, Beatrice and Benedict. And it's a humorous story about um, love and romance and denial and miscommunication and all that can occur in uh, relationships. And uh, the story is kind of centered around these two, Beatrice and Benedict, that have to be convinced and, and really essentially tricked into uh, learning that they actually like each other, even though they would act differently. But in the opening scene here, Beatrice is seen pining away over the instability and the unreliability of men. And she says these words, which have kind of become famous from Shakespeare. She says, sigh no more, ladies, sigh no more. Men were deceivers ever. One foot in sea and one in shore, and to one thing constant never. 
And this issue of constancy, here Beatrice was saying, where is a man that will be constant? Where is Where are the men who don't change with the wind, one foot in the sea and one on shore and to one thing constant? Never. And she's crying out really for this desire to have constancy. And this morning we're going to talk about the constancy, the idea of constancy, as it applies to God with respect to his immutability. His immutability, that is his stayingness. Uh, this, is a, this is an attribute that is rarely, if ever, applied to man, but it is always throughout the scripture applied to God. Now, in the weeks to come, we're going to be looking at some things that God can't do when we get to his, uh, the lesson on omnipotence. There are some things that God cannot do. Of course, we know from Titus 1 and verse 2 that God cannot lie. From 2 Timothy 2 that God cannot deny himself. We also know from James 1 that he cannot be tempted by evil. And here in Malachi, we're given a very profound, profound lesson into the fact that God cannot change. God cannot change he does not change because he is the one and only constant by, by true definition of that word. And he is the only being on earth that is immutable or unable to change. Now, when we define this, I want to, um, I want to be clear about a couple of things. Immutability, and we'll give you the definition here shortly, but immutability, you should note... Um, is not immobility. It is not immobility in the sense that God is somehow static uh, or, or God is somehow paralyzed or God is seized up, as it were. No, the God of Christianity is active. He is living. He is moving. He is functional amongst his world. Now, we saw this under the doctrine of providence that we studied as well. Immutability does not mean that God is immobile. It is also does not mean that God is muted. That is to say, when we, we've often heard the beautiful sound of a muted trumpet, some of you have, where, where they place a mute in the trumpet to cause it to play lower or to play quietly for different musical reasons that, that is desirable. Well, not with God. In fact, when God speaks, he often in the scripture speaks loudly, very clearly. When God declares something, it is often from the mountaintops and it is often to be sounded forth and sometimes is equated with trumpets, unmuted trumpets. And so that is not what immutability is. The term itself comes from a word which uh, really means to mutate. And you'll see that word kind of in there. Uh, in your, if you just look at the word on the top of your page, immutability, you'll see the word mutate in there. And that is a word that simply means that uh, if you are mutable, you are able to mutate or to change. And uh, being, being immutable means that you are unable to change. So it basically just means that, not, that God is not changeable. Now, everything we know on earth, including ourselves, is subject to change, is it not? Everything we, we know uh, changes. Uh, plants change. Animals change. The world change. Climate changes. Um, uh, ideas change. Different uh, philosophers change with their opinions through the year, and opinions change. And, and all we know as humans is that which changes, but not with God. And if you look at your definition here, we'll just read it together. 
Immutability defined for our terms this morning is God remaining forever unchanging. And this is in a world that changes so much. We need a God who does not change. But will you note that while God remains forever unchanging, we're going to be looking at several categories of this today, that he's unchanging in his being and his character and his purposes and his promises. It's very important to the believer to understand the different aspects that do not change with our God. And, and yet he remains in this way while responding uniquely to the diverse actions of others. You see, we change. God does not, but God does respond and manifest himself differently to different situations that man uh, chooses to present. So that's going to be our definition, God remaining forever unchanging in his being, character, purposes, and promises while being able to react and to um, manifest himself with within the um, uh, diverse actions of others. And so that's kind of how we're going to do that today. That's the definition we're going to use. In short, God is always and forever yours truly. He stays true to himself. He tr stays true to his word. Men's cha men change. We know this. Um, now, now, why this is so important to understand the uh, doctrine of immutability is because, um, just think about this for a moment. Think about just how far we've come in this study, and we've come a long way. Uh, we've studied the eternality of God, and the spirituality of God, and the sovereignty of God. Last week, we looked at the holiness of God. What would you say this morning if I came to you and said, okay, we covered all of those topics in the prior weeks, but I must report to you today that God has suddenly changed. And now we can no longer rely upon what he, uh, how he revealed himself in those other attributes we've covered, or we have several more attributes to go. What if at the end of this series we said, well, we need to chuck it all because God has changed and we got to start over again? Well, this will never be the case with God. We might crumple up our notes and throw them over our shoulder or, or edit the manuscript or whatever, but God cannot be edited. God does not change. And that's a good thing. We're going to see, uh, thanks be to God, that he, in fact, does not change. Well, if you'll, turn to, if you'll look at your outline here, rather, we're going to look at several categories that we're just going to be combing through here as we proceed this morning. Um, I say this because there, there are some theologians out there that do believe God does change. You need to know this. We're not going to spend time on this, but one category of theologian is known as the process theologian. And you can remember that by basically saying God is under process. And uh, those that believe this believe that God is ever growing. He's ever learning. He's ever developing. He's slowly getting better and better and better. And those that is known as process theology. Uh, open theism also uh, has a little bit to do with that. It's connected that God doesn't know everything. And so he does uh, find out things and he learns things. And, you know, this is uh, this is a dangerous doctrine. I only want to mention it to you. But we believe in the immutability uh, of God and uh, that he does not change. And in our outline, if you're taking notes there, the first point we're going to make this morning on this is that God does not change in his nature. Would you write that word in? God is unchanging 
in his nature. Now, when I speak of his nature, I speak of his uh, core attributes that do not change. In other words, God has existed in, um, in a state of being as is, if you will, uh, from all eternity. And he will always continue in the state of being as is. Now, we can't even fathom this because all we know from birth is change and growth and development. Uh, sometimes change for the better and sometimes change for the worse, but not with God. God is subject to no mutations. He is immutable. Uh, he has no potential to gain any attributes. He has no potential to lose any attributes. He will never achieve anything that he doesn't already have in his nature. He will never lose. He will never become more God, less God. Uh, he is He is who he is today, and he will be this way for eternity. God will never gain any more power than he has, and he will never gain any less. And by the way, he is all-powerful, as we will see in the weeks to come. And uh, so God doesn't have this need or or we don't see this issue of him maturing in the scriptures or developing or becoming stronger or, or becoming better. In his nature, he is who he is and he doesn't need to engage in personal enrichment exercises like we do. Uh, deterioration for God, if you will, is impossible. Now, some scripture, if you'd like to jot down under the explanation there, some scripture, we've already kind of dabbled in this. You could write down Exodus 3.14. You remember that when Moses says, well, who should I tell the Egyptians sent me? And God uses the word Yahweh, which is the uh, eternal covenant name of God, meaning I am the eternal one. He says, I am who I am. Uh, tell him I am sent you. And that is to say God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and th this aspect of God does not change. I love Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4, where God is described as the rock. And, and that is the picture of God, the stable rock, solid like Gibraltar, if you will, unchanging, unmoving. And I love Psalm uh, 102. I don't know if you're uh, able to just turn there real quick, but Psalm 102 kind of speaks to this issue of the of the solidity of God and his, his unchanging nature. In Psalm 102, beginning in verse 25, we see, um, we see some interesting words here. I'll start us in verse 23. It says, uh, He being God has weakened my strength in the way. He has shortened my days. We can relate to that. Uh, I say, oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. So my years are short. My years are temporary. They feel like they've been taken away. But thy years are throughout all generations. It says in verse 25, Of old you did found the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. And note this, verse 26, Even they which seem to have an appearance of permanence, do they not? The earth and the world, the heavens, even they will perish. But you will endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed. And then I love verse 27. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. And this is a very important truth about God, that, that he does not change, and that he will uh, our years will come to an end, but his never comes to an end. 
this is his very nature this is his being it is unchanging now at this point i need to have a little bit of fun here if you uh, have your notes you will see on the back page of your notes this hymn by charles wesley uh written in 1738 and i i'll have you know i uh, i i indeed love the wesley brothers i am grateful for all of their wonderful music i i may not be in total agreement with every bit of their theology there's some issues there but uh, for the most part, I I, um, I love. I told you I, I was saved in a Wesleyan church. It's going to be very difficult for you to get me to say anything negative about Wesleyans. However, I want to point something out in this song to you this morning here that is on there. I put this in here mainly for fun, but I love the song. Don't get me wrong. It's the song, And Can It Be? Some of you know how this goes. And Can It Be? And um, if we look at this here... Um, it's interesting that the song the, the song begins by um, by saying, "And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued?" So far, so good. Now, watch this amazing love. How can it be? Here it is that thou my god shouldst die for me now this should these words should concern us a little bit i know what he's saying he's speaking about the humanity of christ and christ is god christ is divine but we have to be we have to we have to question this a little bit with respect to god's nature his core being which is life by the way that thou my god shouldst die for me uh, next verse here Tis mercy all. This verse is actually removed from a number of hymnals uh, today. You, you'll be scarce to find this. Tis mercy all. Here it is. The immortal dies. Now, you should be having a little bit of trouble with this. How can immortality die? Who can explore his strange design? And, and it goes on. And then later it speaks of emptying himself of all but love. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, the point is, is that God did not die. The immortal never died. Uh, if God would have died, then, of course, Jesus would have died. And what I'm referring to there is, and not risen again. Um, Pilate would have died. I'm thinking back to the crucifixion where this hymn is making reference here. Um John would have died. Mary would have died. Um, Jerusalem as an entire city would have died. The whole world would have died. It, it would have made 9-11 uh, and our current coronavirus situation child's play because the entire world would have died. The cross would have vanished. Golgotha would have vaporized. And the moon and the sun and the stars would have imploded if God died. Why? Because Hebrews 1.3 says he, God, Christ, upholds all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1.3. God is unchanging in his nature and as an absolute being who has the very nature of life, you can't kill life in God. Now, we don't want to get sidetracked on that. I just want to make you aware of that. Of course, in the death of Christ, it was his humanity that died and was raised again, not his divinity. His divinity did not die. Christ has two natures. And of course, the Wesley brothers are speaking of the 
the death of Christ in his humanity. But we do need to be careful and discerning even with our music uh, in, in all senses of, of that uh, endeavor there. We want our theology, or we want our doxology rather to match sound theology. Well, the point is, and I need to move on, is that uh, God is unchanging in his nature. Let's give you another point here when we're just developing this concept of the immutability of God. God is not only unchanging in his nature, but he's unchanging in his character. Bless God. Bless God. He's unchanging in his nature, who he is in his being, but he's also unchanging in his character. What do I mean by that? What I mean is who he is with respect to his person, how he acts, how he behaves, his ethics, uh, his, his um, uh, way of acting and treating and regarding his creation. And as we explain this issue of God being unchanging in his character, we're talking about his personhood and uh, the, the perfections of his, his behavior, really. In other words, God can never be better or worse in character. He can never be more or less truthful. He is truth. He can never be more or less merciful. He is merciful. He can never be more or less just. He is just. And he can never be more or less good. He can't be less good or gooder or good as. He is good. And, and, and when we consider God, we must consider him as having no character flaws. He has no character flaws. He has no deficiencies. He is not like the chameleon who changes his color with the change of the environment. He is not like the changing politician who changes his tune, changes his message with the wind of whatever audience that he is speaking to, he or she. Uh, he, he is not like any of that. He never has an integrity breach. He never lets anyone down. He never fails. He never errs. This is God, whatever he was like in character before the universe was made, he is also like that now, and he will be like that in eternity. And this is really kind of our text uh, this morning. And it proof of that is uh, Malachi for scripture. If you're if you're taking notes, Malachi three six. For I the Lord do not change. And it's interesting there. It says, therefore you O sons of Jacob are not consumed. We're going to talk about this here, but it is a good thing that God does not change. And what he's speaking about here is that I am also a compassionate God. I am also a merciful God. I am also a forgiving God. I am also a long-suffering God. We're going to look at those attributes later in our study. But that is why you're not consumed, because if I were to change, and God certainly might be tempted to be changed based on our behavior sometimes, would he not? But he does not change, and as a result, we can bank on forgiveness. We can bank on his compassion, and we can bank on his love, and we'll, we'll talk more about that here. But, it, but that's his character. His character is one of absolute integrity, and he does not change. He is sworn by himself. And as a result, we are the blessed, blessed recipients of his mercy and grace which we will extol throughout eternity. I love James chapter 1, verse 17. James 1, 17 reminds us about this good and gracious God. It says, Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom, note this, is no variation or shifting shadow. This is, this is amazing here. 
it, it says that if you are the recipient of a good gift, if you are if you are a recipient of a good thing, it it has come down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Think about a sundial of of ancient times, as the sun moves across the the sky, the sundial casts a shadow, and the shadow moves, and that's how you tell time. But with God, there is no variation. There's no shadow to be cast upon him. Uh, if anything, he casts the shadow because he is the constant. Now, this is just important to understand that his character will not change. His nature will not change. Can I just give you a third one as we make our way through this morning here? God is unchanging in his nature. He's unchanging in his character. And thirdly, he's unchanging in his plans. Would you write that down? God is unchanging in his plans. That is to say God's purpose, God's counsel, if you will, God's will. As we explain this, you know, by way of illustration, the best uh, athletic coaches you can think of have what we call game plans. They they have um, running. They have a running game. They have a they have a playbook, if you will. And they might have plan A, depending on how that circumstance works, or if they're presented with this circumstance, they might have plan B, or they might have plan C. Lots of lots of plays in the playbook. A good coach will will always have that at at his or her discretion. Some of the best generals obviously have great war plans. Um, contingency plans, plans to advance their troops, plans to retreat their troops if necessary, plans to simulate retreat and then attack and flank. All of these are attributed to great thinkers, great coaches, great generals. In fact, if you were a mouse, you would resonate with the words of Robert Burns. You'll be able to finish this. The best laid plans. The best laid plans of mice and men. Finish that for me. How's that go? often go awry and because we're dealing with the mutability the, the mutable nature of us as humans so the best of plans of mice and men often go awry why because we are subject to change uh, we don't have the attribute of immutability this is not something we can possess and so we must live with a knowledge of the reality of changing plans but Folks, this morning we can rejoice. God doesn't change his plan. God, God isn't up in heaven having created the earth saying, oh no, look what they're doing. Now I need a plan. Now I need to figure out plan B or plan C because these, these you know, pedestrian humans keep messing up my world. Not at all. God has one plan. It is a, it is a divine plan of redemption to bring a people to himself through Christ by placing them in Christ. And God's plans do not change, beloved. There's never a need for plan B because plan B does not exist in the mind of God. I know we're talking about heavy things. Hang with me. I, I know we're talking about concepts that are sometimes hard to grasp and we're moving towards concepts that are going to be easier to grasp. But these are the, these are the incommunicable attributes that we've been talking about here that we we don't, we don't know what it would be like to never change. And by the way, that's a good thing. We're going to talk about that in a sec too. That's a good thing that we have the ability uh, to change. But, but God is unchanging in his plans. Some scripture, if you'd like to write this down, is Psalm 3311. I love this. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. 
How long is forever? That's a really long time. And that's how long the counsel, the wisdom, the direction of the Lord stands. It stands forever. The plans of his heart, I love that, are from generation to generation. They last. They stay because they emanate from an immutable God. Isaiah 14, 24 is another text that's uh, helpful for us to understand the, the, uh, the uh, God being unchanging in his plans. Isaiah 14, uh, verse 24, we pick up here, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened. I love that. How many times do your intentions get fouled up? How many times do your plans get changed? God's plans do not get changed. We have to get that through our heads. We don't understand that because we're, our plans are always changing. But God's plans do not change. Surely as I have intended, so it has happened. Just as I have planned it, Isaiah 14, 24, so it will stand. And then I like verse 26. This is the plan devised against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out against the nations. Verse 27, for the Lord of hosts has planned it, and who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? Powerful, powerful verses from the prophet that we studied last week in, in Isaiah 6. Uh, he also mentions this again in Isaiah 46, uh, verses 9 through 11. Very similar words. Remember the former things long past. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. And he says, truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. Here it is again. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. Loved ones, we have to worship the God who is unchanging in his plans, or else everything is up for grabs, is it not? Or else we can count on nothing. If we can't count on everything, and if we can't count on God being true, not only to his nature, not only to his character, but to his plans, we can plan nothing. We can depend upon nothing. I love Romans eleven twenty nine, which says, the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. They are irrevocable. I mean, it says it right there in the scriptures, Romans eleven twenty nine. If you have received a gift, any gift from God, the gifts and the callings, and by the way, you, you are called by God. Did you know that if you are a Christian? You are called by God. The gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. God provides for us a plan. Really, he provides, you could say, an irrevocable trust. We are part of an irrevocable trust. Now, I want to ask a quick question while we're still on this point, because I think uh, it's probably coming up in your mind. The question is this. It's in your notes. Um, with all of this uh, talk about God not changing his mind and not changing his plan, wh what is happening in the scripture where it seems as if God is changing his mind and is changing his plan or the route that he was going to take? In other words, the question is this. Does God ever actually change his mind? And it's a good question because there's a group of, of texts in the Bible that would make you uh, think that he does. Uh, for instance, you could write down um, under those um, difficult texts, you could write down Genesis 6-6. 
Genesis 6, 6 is one of those uh, challenging texts where we've, we've portrayed our God as he is, as unchanging. But in 6, 6, it says, and the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. He was sorry. In other words, it almost seems like he, he had a plan to make man and it didn't go right. So then he, it says, I mean, he was sorry and grieved. What is happening here? Or in 1 Samuel 15, 11, you could write that in. 1 Samuel 15, 11, where God is expressing disappointment over King Saul's sin. And he says, I regretted that I made him king. So what is happening? Did, did God not see something or was he caught by surprise and now he has regret over something that he did? What, what's going on here? Uh, there's others. Um, 2 Samuel 24, 16, where uh, uh, God stays the, handle, uh, the hand rather of the uh, angel that is executing uh, judgment upon David's people. And uh, there's a reference to compassion there. Uh, Jonah 3.10 is another classic one where he relents against Nineveh. He was uh, planning on uh, uh, rendering judgment against Nineveh. But then it says, because they repented, I stopped. And, and it was almost uh, in a sense that uh, this was a surprise to God. Well, we know it wasn't. All of these are examples. There's another one, Joel 2.13, um, relenting from calamity and such. And... Um, all of this is, again, anthropomorphic expressions. These are, these are ways in which God is communicating to us his emotions, as it were, in terms that we can understand as humans, who, by the way, change constantly. And so God comes down to our level. He speaks our language. And what he's doing is he's ex either, A, he's expressing his emotions and his grief because God is a person. God has emotions, just like we do. That part of his nature has been communicated to us. And he wants us to know that he is not the stoic kind of neutered being up there that has, has no sense of grief or, or um, uh, disappointment in man. And as we know what it means to grieve, as we definitely know how to regret a decision, do we not? We certainly do. We regret our decisions constantly. God reveals himself then in our language as if to say, I am regretting this just so you know how bad a situation this actually is. And this is him coming down to our terms. It's also typically used to display an attribute of God that has not yet been displayed. For instance, he, he can come in justice. He can come in vengeance and give the threat of vengeance. And then because man repents, he then can display compassion and forgiveness and mercy and long suffering. And so he is wishing to show all of his attributes off. I can't wait to get to some of those other attributes. I hope you're excited about it as well. Because we have been kind of studying some of the more austere attributes of God. But watch how immutability is also connected to some of those other, if you want to call them the softer attributes of God, which we dare not try to live without. Attributes like love and compassion and mercy and the tenderness of God. You better believe it. You don't want a God that's going to change those. I mean, we... We, we trust that he doesn't change because our very livelihood depends on the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God. 
if we, if we only had justice and if we only had holiness and if we only had had wrath as it were we would be of all people most uh, to be pitied so these are just um divine accommodations if you want to look where it says the text explained you can just write in that this is divine accommodation he's revealing his emotions God is revealing additional attributes that can't be showed unless he forgives. Um, and, and sometimes it will appear reversed as well, that God will uh, be demonstrating compassion and such, and then will demonstrate justice. Now, here's, here's in the sermon where I want you to, I want you to draw um, some notes here. We're, we're, we're about to hit point four. We're almost done. Hang in there. You're going to be okay. Right here, if you will, there's a little space to draw. And what I want you to do real quick, what helps understand, helps you understand that concept that I just gave you about divine accommodation, I want you to draw a nice sunny day. Um, the sun is out today here. It could be a day like today. And um, just draw the sun in a sky and uh, maybe rays that, that come down like that, okay? That's the sun, and this is going to represent God. He, he, is, he is a constant here. He is like the sun. And those rays come down. Well, underneath that, I'd, I'd like you to draw, I'm not a good drawer here, but uh, I'd like you to draw a cloud. And the cloud is under the sun, and that cloud is called sin. If you label it as sin, the sun will represent God, and the cloud will represent sin. And then I'd like you to draw a little stick figure underneath that cloud, a uh, little guy there little man under the cloud and he's under the cloud of sin and how you can best understand this is this as this little guy moves either which way under sin or under grace if you will the grace of God's truth and the grace of God's light and and having un um, unfiltered relationship with God as you will every illustration breaks down but I think this is one of the easiest ways to understand this God is constant. Like the sun, he's constant. But sin does obscure him. And sin causes man to relate to God differently in shame and in guilt and in distress. And as, as man moves under sin, his relationship to God then is blocked, as it were. But as man repents and moves out from underneath sin, he then can relate to God in an unhindered uh, way. I, I just think that's sometimes easy to understand. That, that helps us understand how it appears as if God is changing. But folks, really, it's, it's us. It's us that is changing. God is constant. We are constantly changing. That's about the only constant that we know is, is change. So I need to move on. We've established that God is unchanging in his nature, in his character, in his plans. And let me just give you a fourth one, and we'll, we'll call it good this morning. The fourth aspect of God's immutability is that God is unchanging, oh, praise the Lord, in his promises, in his promises. He's unchanging in his nature, which we praise him for that. He's unchanging in his character, his ethics. We praise him for that, his holiness. He is unchanging in his plans, knowing that what he has planned will actually take place. He who began a good work in you will see it to the end, the scripture says. But we trust this because of this fourth point, that God is unchanging in his promises. Oh, we break promises all the time, do we not? We break promises to our friends. We break promises to our loved ones. We break promises to our children. We break promises to ourselves. 
But God has never and will never break a promise. This is the beauty of our God, that he is a promise keeper. He is the only promise keeper in the world, in in all of uh, the created order. God being not created is the only promise keeper. And what I'm referring to here, folks, is his word. If you'd write that under the explanation here, I'm talking about his word, the truthfulness of his word, the reliability of his word, the living and abiding body of truth. What God says, what God has declared, what he's promised will come true and it will last forever. His promises can never fail. They will always come to pass. I love the verse 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God, note that it said all of them, all of the promises of God in him, that is in Christ, are yea and amen, the scripture says. Yes and amen. That th Those are the promises of God. And it is a yes. And it is a pronouncement forever. And we bless God that he does not speak out of both sides of his mouth, right? Smiling at us one day, frowning upon us on the next day. God speaks out of one side of his mouth. He only has one side. And, you know, he is not like we are where we will sometimes tell one person one thing and tell another person another thing. That's just our nature. We're subject to that. But God's word is certain and God's word can be trusted. I just have a few scriptures here that will help you. Numbers 2, um, I'm sorry, Numbers 23 and verse 9. Numbers 23, 9. God is not a man that he should lie. I like that. It's interesting. We're painted, you know, God's beauty is painted against the backdrop and the darkness of, of our sin. God is not a man that he should lie. And men have been lying from the womb. From the time we come out, we begin this process, and, and man lies. That's, that's why they say babies, you know, where's the baby? Well, he's lying in the crib, right? No, I'm kidding. That's a different use of the word lie. But the point is, is that from birth, really, nobody has to teach us how to do this. And God uses that to illustrate himself, saying, God is not a man that he should lie. Uh, Psalm 119.89, I love this. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Think about that. Forever, O Lord, your word, your promises, they are settled in heaven. Psalm 119 verse 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. God's promises are found in his word. If you want to be a beneficiary of his promises, you have to dig into his word. It is his word that lasts forever. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, the grass withers, we know this, and the flower fades, no doubt, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And we need to have that. We need to understand that and, and benefit from the promises of God in that regard. We could say so much more about that, but uh, this is a this is a reality that we we need to come to grips with, and the promises of God, who is unchanging. And praise the Lord, we have an unchanging God. I'm just going to wrap up with a, a couple of uh, points of uh, application here. We we need to we need to really we need to really come to grips with the fact that the the immutability of God is a very very important aspect of our relationship to him. And, uh, you know, in a, in a world that is ever-changing and so uncertain, is it not? The world today is so uncertain. We have the certainty of 
and unchanging God. Now, I want to just draw out a couple of points of application on this. Um, the, the first is this. How, how should we respond to the immutability of God? Well, number one, we need to trust in the unchanging nature of God. I mean, he is all we have that we can trust in. And his nature is unchanging. And I want you folks this week to, to find a home, as it were. We, we all long for a home, do we not? And a place in which we can call home. I want you this week to find a home in the immutability of God. And, and that, that God will be a help to us in the time of trial. He has promised this. And that even up to the time of our death, he will be a help to us. Now, I want to just quote Tozer here as we're closing here. Tozer writes of the immutability of God. He says, What peace it brings to the Christian's heart to realize that our Heavenly Father never differs from himself. In coming to him at any time, we need not wonder whether we shall find him in a receptive mood. He is always receptive to misery and need, as well as to love and faith. He does not need to keep office hours or to set aside periods when he will, when he will see no one. Have you ever... Have you ever met someone like that? Well, I'm off, or it's not my office hours, or, or I can't be bugged. Well, not with God. He is always available to us. It says, neither does he change his mind about anything. Today, this moment, he feels towards his creatures, towards babies, towards the sick, towards the fallen, towards the sinful, exactly the way he did when he sent his one and only son into the world to die for mankind. And so I want you just to be able today to find peace and to find rest and safety in the unchanging nature of God. That's point number one. Point number two, by way of application, is this. This is going to be a little tougher for you here. Not only do we need to trust in the unchanging nature of God, but secondly, as we conclude, we must come to the point where we are ready to accept change in our lives. Now, we've been talking a lot about the unchanging nature of God, but this, this is going to stretch us a little bit here to be ready to accept change in our lives. Change is an impossibility with the Creator. But note this, folks. It is a necessity for us as creatures. We ought not curse change. There is change that is necessary for you and for, for me as a creature. We are mutable. We are able to mutate, as it were. And you know what? That is a good thing. That is a good thing. I was watching some old VHS videos with the family uh, last night, and I was struck with, well, you know, how young we all were, and everybody was smaller, and all of us had more hair, and all of us looked younger and smarter and all of that. But um, you know what? I'm going to just tell you something. I didn't always like what I saw back then in those videos. And at the time, you, you think, well, it's just life is how we are. But then because I've grown... And I look at myself how I was, and I look at myself now, and there were sometimes during those, those uh, watching of those home movies that I was like, who is that jerk? <laughs> who, who does that guy think he is? And I'm so blessed that God has changed me. This is the point number two here. We need to be willing to accept change in our lives, even the adversity, even the things that are not comfortable are, are growing us, right? They're maturing us. And the unchanging God is working on us. Here's another quote from Tozer. It says, The sacred writers face up to man's mutability. But they are healthy men, and there is a wholesome strength in their words. 
They have found the cure for the great sickness. God changes not. The law of mutation belongs to a fallen world. But God is immutable, and in him men of faith find, at last, eternal permanence. In the meanwhile, change works for the children of the kingdom, not against them. Did you note that? Change works for the children of the kingdom. The changes that occur in them are wrought by the hand of the living spirit. But we all, says the apostle, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we are all changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, God's working on us. The unchanging God, as it were, is changing us for the better. And Lord willing, we are all becoming wiser. We are all becoming holier. We're all becoming more loving. And we're all becoming more kind, I trust, more gracious, as we are slowly but surely being made into the image of his son, who, by the way, also does not change. All of these attributes are applied to the son. They are applied uh, to the spirit. And, and I just want to say um, the immutability of God, we should not only find comfort in, but we should find a certain comfort in our mutability that God can change us. Praise God. And we need it. And so just go with those thoughts as we proceed this week. Um, God is doing an amazing work in you and me and us as the body of Christ. And I believe the best is yet to come. Let me close now as we uh, just thank God for his unchanging nature. Heavenly Father, we just bless your name this morning. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you that you, the Lord, do not change. Lord, for we would be consumed, as the prophet Malachi says. Uh, thank you, Lord, that that you condescend to us, that you accommodate our weakness, and that you have, in your plan, even uh, made a way that despite our sin and despite our rebellion and despite our failure and how we grieve you often, Lord, you have, you have deigned to come down and transform our lives and change us. And Lord, I pray that every person here today would in fact be a changed individual as a result of looking at the unchanging God. May our week uh, be filled with worship of you. May we see illustrations of this and our need this week to you so that we could give you greater and greater praise, Lord. And we pray this in the name of your son. Amen.